Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at frito I got a million ways to get it. <laughs> Between the Banners, episode 13, a post-game podcast from the Tar Heel blog podcast, presented by the website of the same name, hosted by SBNation.com. Both of our usual post-game hosts are on the road. They have actually been at the game, um, or at the Carolina games this weekend. So I have the unique privilege of introducing site manager Tanya Bondurant and editor Brandon Anderson. They're both on the road somewhere in Columbus, Ohio, or in the surrounding area. Guys, tell me about the scene from Columbus. Uh, Tanya, I'm going to start with you because your story is a lot more interesting. Um, the story of Columbus is interesting. Um, I've never been to Ohio before and yet it looks a lot like what you would imagine Ohio to look like. Um, I don't really, I will say, um, there are, more people here who root for Duke than I realized, apparently. Um, and, and that is my observation about Columbus. And Tanya, you're speaking in hushed tones a little bit. Is it possible that you're in the hallway of a hotel right now? It's very possible <laughs> that I'm in the hallway of a hotel right now. <laughs> and I just scared a woman who turned the corner and didn't realize I was sitting here and she almost had a heart attack. And Brandon Anderson, uh, my editor, my, uh, w- one of my go-tos on Between the Banners and our normal, uh, post-game host, you were also at the games this weekend. Um, you're in a little bit more comfortable of a position. How, how is, how is your position, first of all? And, uh, what can you tell me just as an initial reaction from the UNC 22 point victory over Washington this afternoon? I'm definitely in a bit more of a comfortable position than Tanya. I am pretty much on the other side of the hotel room just to kind of keep some echo away. But, um, yeah, that was a good win today. I definitely thought that Washington was going to make things maybe a little more interesting than what actually happened with their zone, but also, We've went up against zone so much this year alone, I feel like, that that was probably something that wasn't to be of much concern. But I still kind of had jitters about the round of 32 games just stemming from last year. So I'm sure some of that was just unwarranted. I will say that Luke May and Nasir Little and really Kobe White, too, all just kind of went off today 
and Cam Johnson really, it, it was just a really good game. The only downside really was the turnover situation in the first half, but I feel like everything else went really well. And let's talk about the turnovers a little bit. And um either one of y'all that wants to take this can, but it seemed like Carolina was comfortable going against the 2-3. The Washington coach was a former Bayheim uh, assistant, and UNC looked very comfortable in that. It reminded me of games like 08 against Arkansas and name any other where UNC has an 8-9 game against a Power 5 opponent that they just kind of blow the doors off of. It looked early on like they were going to blow the doors off of them, but Brandon, you know, what what kept uh, Carolina from blowing the doors off of Washington early on? Was it the Garrison Brooks injury? Was it uh, just a little bit of a slowdown in the pace? Or, you know, was it something beyond that? I would say the injury may have had a tiny bit to do with it. I think maybe the biggest thing was some of the decision-making in terms of how, you know, what passes were being made to with players through you know, kind of whatever avenues they were trying to go through just didn't quite work like they were trying to. I know Kobe kind of went a little more home run derby-esque with his passes, but those actually seemed to get there. I don't think I remember him making a bad one of those, but I definitely cringed a little bit when I was seeing him revert to, like, preseason I'm going to throw the ball halfway down the court passes, but his actually weren't the problem. Um, there's just a little bit of sloppiness, I think. Um, I also think that Washington was just shooting really well in the first half. They basically were going toe for toe as scoring wise with UNC. And then the second half was just a completely different story. And Tanya, to Brandon's point, uh, Kenny Williams had four first half turnovers uh from where I sat you know I got to watch about half of the first half it sounded like all of those took place in the first half was uh Kenny just in the wrong place at the wrong time a couple of times or you know was he thrown off a little bit by the zone or was it just kind of elemental in the game as it went along Washington has a guy who is really really good at stealing the ball and I think Carolina <laughs> was just a little sloppy, and he took advantage of that. Um, They had five steals in the first half. And I think that led to a lot of it. Um, We've seen Carolina be kind of careless with the ball a few times this season. I don't think they did anything today that they haven't done time and time before. It's just that they ran into a guy who kind of feasts on those mistakes, and that is what happened today. Uh, thankfully, they really cleaned it up in the second half and only turned it over five times. Um, at halftime, Washington had scored 16 points off of Carolina turnovers, and they only had 33 in the half. So basically, they were kept in it entirely because of turnovers. And that guy to whom you refer has to be Matisse uh, Tybel, who – for two yeah. games, I thought his last name was Fivel, um, as in Fivel goes to whatever. But um, he was only one for eight from the field, uh, 0 for five from three. But uh, like you said, Washington only scored 19 points, not off turnovers in the first half. So 
Brandon, what was UNC's defense doing to stifle the Washington offense? Because this this is a Washington team that kind of exploded in the second half to beat Utah State, but I expected a little bit more from them offensively, really, just after watching that game on Friday night. Yeah, I think they were able to find a little bit to take advantage of maybe in the first half. UNC did a really good job of keeping plays out of, you know, the paint area. Um, in the second half, I feel like Carolina overall was just so much more active and they didn't really give Washington a chance to create many shots. I just feel like that was one of the better defensive performances I've seen this year to where it just, I, I don't know, yesterday, like not yesterday, but against Iona and against Washington in the second half, I feel like were examples of why this team could do so much damage going forward and, you know, going into Kansas City is when they really lock in, it's extremely hard for teams to score on them. So who set the tone defensively? Just um, and just for the record, I'm a guy who missed most of the first half and a good bit of the second half. I know on the Slack channel we were talking about Garrison Brooks getting a, a little bit pissed off after losing a tooth, which as one two does teeth. when you lose a tooth and two teeth. Yeah. yeah he here. broke one tooth. He broke one tooth and he lost another. Damn. Did he set the tone on defense? Uh, I know Nasir Little set the tone on offense and we'll get to that, but Luke May finished with 14 rebounds. Um, was it Brooks or did uh Williams or White or Seventh Woods? I, I mean, who was uh, setting the attack on the defensive end? I thought Brooks did a really good job on Dickerson until Dickerson removed his teeth and he had to leave. <laughs> um, so I thought he was doing a really, really good job. I also thought Kenny was doing a good job on defense, but that's really what we expect of him. Um, I think those two were the standouts for me, but also when Little came in for Brooks for an extended period of time, I didn't feel like they really lost much in the way of defense, which was good. Um, but yeah, I, I really thought that Brooks and Kenny stood out a lot defensively. It was just unfortunate that at different points throughout the day, both of them ended up getting hurt and having to miss a decent chunk of time. Well, at least they're uh, sustainable injuries as far as injuries go. Um, you can replace teeth in 2019, the year of our Lord. And uh, Kenny, um, just based on what I gathered, is fine going forward with his hamstring injury. Um, but, yeah, and Brandon, I know you highlighted this pregame, but, uh, you know, basically Pac-12 player of the year, Jalen Noel, was the one guy that UNC had to key on, and he got a couple of points early, but, his overall stat line, 6 of 11, uh, 0 of 2 from 3 for 12 points. I mean, really not something that you walk away from saying Kenny Williams didn't do his job. Yeah, and it's interesting because in the first half, he very much got just about anything that he wanted. You know, he went 4 for 5 from the field, ended up with 8 points, and then the second half, the door just kind of – Shot on him. He went two for six, got four points. I think it kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier. I think overall, 
Carolina just really started locking down on defense and some of those opportunities that were maybe there before just weren't. And, you know, Tanya mentioned those turnovers. I don't remember exactly where uh, Noel's points came from, to be perfectly honest, but it wouldn't surprise me if that had a good deal to do with his success of the first half. Um, I know he had six very early on, and then beyond that, uh, UNC kind of shut him down. He finished with 12, and, you know, speaking of 12-point runs or 12 minus one, I mean, the Sierra Little in the second half, um, I was lucky enough to get home to watch that rampage, but I'm jealous that y'all got to see it in person. So what did y'all see from Nasir Little? Um I know our Slack channel was complaining about him attacking the rim as opposed to taking 15-foot jumpers uh, in the first half. In the second half, he attacked the rim with a palm, and he did a great job of it. Tanya, I'll let you take that one. I mean, I saw Nasir Little continue to take good shots. I mean, I think Roy Williams said in the post game that, like, the shots that he was taking that people might have been cringing about were ones that he wanted him to take. I think that's important. Um, Little has been doing a good job of recognizing that he is one of the more athletic guys on the court at any given time. And I think that's been paying off for him. Uh, he, he was just really good. And I know that, um, like he made a three and, we haven't seen a whole lot of effectiveness from him uh, beyond the arc this year, but it went in. He was eight for 11. That's very efficient. Um, I, I really didn't have a lot of complaints. I thought he was continuing to make good decisions and attack where he needed to. I thought he was picking pretty good spots. Well, Tanya, here's my complaint. Um, we have a tweet from uh, Adam Smith. Adam underscore Smith TN on Twitter. Um, Joe Mazur asked the question, you know, these guys that tried to dunk on you have a family, right? Joe Mazur did not credit you for those tweets because that has been your mantra all year. Uh, <laughs> right? I'm not getting credit for you know, the three Rob stuff that has swept the country now. I'm not getting credit for Nas. That man had a family. I'm going to start taking out like royalties on these people. You might have to. You gotta get that money out of it. You, you need to trademark these things at some point because, uh, Naza's response was, well, their family should tell them to move. And I mean, if there's a next Tar Heel blog t-shirt and we go all the way, I feel like that's it. I love that so much. It's amazing. And I feel like his response is very much representative of what he's been able to do this tournament and kind of what his mentality has been. He has just been super aggressive, and I don't know exactly what the source of that aggression is. I don't know if maybe he felt like he had something to prove coming into the tournament, which very well could be, but I could just tell by his body language, especially in the second half today, that he was just fired up for the game, and it was amazing to watch. He looks confident, and and I think that's something we haven't seen at times this year, um, but he looks like he recognizes sort of what the score is and is ready to be the guy who is like, you know, I'm talented enough to be a lottery pick and I'm going to show you why. 
And I agree with you 100%. What it looks like really is that, you know, as opposed to him showcasing himself for NBA draft scouts, you know, he, he sees what it takes to win a basketball game right now. And what our friend Al Hood said on uh, last week's kind of big old tournament preview podcast kind of rang true is that there's nobody in this first weekend that can really athletically match up with him. And I think we saw that in spades. And that's, I mean, if he can carry that confidence going forward, I mean, that's another huge uh, mark in Carolina's favor. And we would be remiss. Go ahead. It sounded like you were hesitating into a thought, Brandon. I was just going to say that I'm not so sure that they'll even run into somebody that can match his athleticism until Kentucky, and even that's sketchy because P.J. Washington is scooting around the arenas. <laughs> he is, though. <laughs> he was scooting around skillfully from what y'all didn't see. Um... Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. The last question I guess I have for y'all is, uh, when I, when I did get a few minutes to watch in the first half and not, I was working today. So I was basically watching on my phone driving between appointments. Uh, don't ask about the nature of my work, uh, Twitter, but, uh, Tanya, what I saw is Luke May put up 20 points and 14 rebounds while I was not watching. So I'd like to compare him to the Jawad Williams in 2005 where you put up a quiet 18 and nine or so every game. What did Luke May provide for the Heels tonight? I think that is a very good comparison because it was a very quiet 20 and 14. Um, he nearly had a double-double before halftime, which is just kind of like, if you asked me blindly who the best players on the court had been in the first half, I would have said Kobe and Cam. Um, but Luke May... Uh, I feel like he just does so many little things super well. Um, I think he was a huge reason why we were able to double up Washington on the boards, and that ended up being huge. Um, he was 8 for 19 from the field, which is a little cringeworthy when you just, like, look at it, but... I mean, you really can't argue with those results. So to Luke May, I say, well done, and please continue. And what's funny is I can tell when a Luke May shot's going to miss because he kind of catches it on his toes and then ends up on his heels going off his right foot, and he comes up a little short on it. In the same way, Cam Johnson, when he is going to make a shot, he kind of rolls onto his right heel and makes it. Um so, Brandon, I mean, just, I guess, any final takeaways from this? Uh, going forward, the Heels have Auburn on Friday, and we've got plenty of time to discuss it, and TarHillBlog.com will definitely bring you everything we can on it. But, hey, man, a win is a win and four to go. A win is a win, indeed. The biggest note that we that we could probably 
you know, keep keeping our sights through the duration of this tournament is when Co- Kobe White and Nasir Little, Little, oh my goodness, Kobe White Little. and the, Nasir Little, as Tanya, I have not been able to talk correctly this entire trip. It's been pretty awful. Um, when both of them score in double digits, UNC has only lost once. If they can keep this going, it is going to be so extremely difficult for anybody to stop them. Well, if you talk about Kobe White and Sierra Little, and then you're you're not talking about Luke May or Cam Johnson, who we hardly mentioned on this podcast, or whatever you get from Garrison Brooks or Kenny Williams, I mean, it is a really problematic team to defend, and we're not going to get into why um, certain rivals down the road might have a problem with floor balance, but... Tanya, kind of your takeaways, I guess, similar question, and then why is this UNC team a problem? Because at this point, I think we're a significant problem for Auburn uh, on Friday night and then whoever runs into us on Sunday after that. I think we are definitely a problem, and I think a lot of it is what you just said. This team is so talented and so deep that, like, today, for example, um, Kobe White went off from three in the first half. Washington clamped down on him in the second half. He barely scored after halftime, but Little and May went off. So it's kind of a pick your poison thing, which I think is always important this time of year. Sure, you can try to lock down Kobe or you can try to lock down Cam, but there are so many other people who can beat you. Uh, One thing that stands out to me is that Yes, Auburn is good at shooting the three, obviously, but they are awful at defending the three. Uh, Carolina can definitely make them pay for that. Um, Kobe and Cam and even to an extent Luke, um, are really good three point shooters. And, um, <laughs> it could definitely end up in shootout territory. Um, but I think that the thing that stands out to me is um, Auburn, obviously, like the thing that stands out about them when you watch them is in the Tennessee game, in the SEC title game, they shot 43s. That's kind of nuts. But when you kind of dig into those numbers deeper, um, they're really bad at rebounding. Carolina's really good at rebounding. I think they're the best team in the nation at rebounding. Uh, they're really bad at guarding the three point line. Carolina's a pretty good three point shooting team. So, Yes, Auburn looks a little bit scary on paper just because they can shoot three so well, but they also do a lot of things poorly that you have to do well in order to beat UNC. So I think that should play in Carolina's favor. And then uh, looking forward after that, it's just more of the same. Like, if if we're getting 20 points from Nasir Little off the bench, I don't know how you beat that team. It's going to be very difficult. Yeah, and, um, you know, we're normally, and I, I made this point, I guess, on last week's podcast, where UNC seems to run to a P5 team, you know, be it in Iowa State in 05, be it in Arkansas, be it whoever, where they kind of blow the doors off of a Power 5 opponent um, that, you know, is a trendy upset pick. I think the Auburn game is that game because everything Auburn does plays right into Carolina's hands, and... I'm looking forward to it because Chuck's going to do something ridiculous on TV. 
Carolina might win that game by 25 points. They they might lose it by five, but if they win it, they're going to win it in a blowout fashion. Um, I'm just going to leave you all with this because I wrote this piece and I'm going to do a shameless plug. Marvin Williams uh, averaged 20 points a game in his freshman year coming off the bench in the first two games of the NCAA tournament in 05. Nasir Little, 18 and a half so far. So based on those numbers, we're looking for 16 from Nasir Little uh, against Auburn, and then he's going to drop off, but we're going to win the national championship. Um, Brandon, from Columbus, Ohio, as I watched the Ohio State Buckeyes try to come back about against Houston, any last words? Not really. Ohio fans, just know that we appreciate everything that you're – people have done for us minus the part where we got locked in a parking structure for about an hour but everything at else at three in the I morning mean, it, at three in the morning um but other than that you know it's been cool can't wait to get home though and yeah should be a good time for the heels in kansas city well, and I, w- I was going to ask about the piece that y'all jointly wrote about uh, Columbus and Ohio being a hometown for UNC. Did that did that wane a little bit today, or, or, or are we still believers in um, be- between uh, Sterling Manley, Jeremiah Francis, and uh, the rest of the crew coming from Ohio? I mean, are we still good with that? Because that was a fantastic piece. If y'all have not read it, go to TarHillBlog.com. Um, it posted on Saturday. Very good read. One one of the best actual pieces of journalism our site's had in a while. Yeah, Wait, I that think sounds every- bad. <laughs> I mean, it. You know, I think it was one of the more. Um, I, I I think there was a lot of elbow grease put into that one, and I think that yeah. everything that the fans have shown us while we're here, I think it definitely holds up. They're definitely enough fans here that are passionate enough about the Tar Heels and you know they came out to the arena they were loud they had themselves a good time and I I, I feel like yeah everything that was in there held true and you know we have Jeremiah Francis that will be coming in next year so if we end up in Ohio again I have double the reason for people to come out so And I'm looking forward to that. I mean, Jer- Jeremiah Francis is going to be one of those guys that will drag us on a Final Four run, you know, regardless of whether or not we have a good team that year. But we tend to have pretty good teams. Uh, Tanya, any uh, closing thoughts from the hallway in Columbus, Ohio? I was pleasantly surprised to hear from as many Carolina fans as we heard from. Uh, they all had some really amazing stories, and it was really nice to – chat with them um i think it's not often that we kind of zero in on a place that's not in north carolina and get to hear like like how did you become a carolina fan all the way out here and everyone had a really amazing story so i really enjoyed working on that piece and i hope that um everybody we talked to felt like we did them justice uh Columbus is cold and rainy and i'm ready to get back to north carolina in that respect but it's definitely been a fun trip, and I really enjoyed uh, getting to contribute to uh, learning about 
all of the ties that we actually do have to a place you wouldn't necessarily expect. Yeah. And I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, that was capital J journalism and I really enjoyed reading that piece. I didn't read it until this morning, but you know, I mean, it, it, it makes me proud to be a part of the site that we, uh, are all employed by. So, um, I appreciate y'all doing that and I look forward to seeing if y'all do the same thing for Kansas City next week. That's going to be a wrap. Unfortunately, Duke won today. We're not going to get into that, but for myself, for Tanya and Brandon on the road in Ohio, I'm going to get this posted for Monday morning. This is the Between the Banners podcast on the TarHillBlog.com podcast, and we will talk to you next time. Go Heels.